Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Blaney Baptist Church again. I'm sure uh, you've heard that these are strange circumstances. My name is Jacob. I'm the pastor here. And uh, believe me, I am not a virtual pastor. Uh, I do my best to actually show up. Uh, but due to COVID and uh, just the quarantine, all the things that surround that, if you haven't heard already, my, uh, my wife, Sarah Beth, has COVID for the second time. Uh, I would ask your prayers for her. She's doing okay. She feels pretty crummy, but it's nothing. Uh, thankfully, right now, by God's grace, it's nothing serious. But please pray for her. Um, but I do greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus from my fireside pulpit here. And I do long and I wish that I was able to be there with you. Uh, but in the, the, the wisest course after prayer and counsel, uh, this seems like uh, the best possibility. So, uh, welcome to our time in the Word. Uh, this, again, this is a unique time. If you're visiting with us at Blaney, uh, this is not how things normally go, obviously. Uh, but I pray that God, in His mercy, will use even this uh, for His purposes in your life and in my life and in the life of our church and our community. Uh, so we're going to continue today in our series on in Haggai. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 2. We've made it through chapter 1. We've seen uh, that in the early 500, 500s BC that the people of Israel had been in exile. Uh, by God's grace, he had brought, begun bringing them back from exile. Uh, they were taken away and back to Babylon, uh, and they're being brought back from Babylon and, and sort of trickling in back into Jerusalem and back into the promised land. And here is a wave of people, exiles, that are returning, and that they are. Uh, this is a you know a, f a few years after they they had begun to uh, come back, so to speak. And they, as I said last week and and uh, a few weeks ago, that they had begun to lose their way. They had they become self-focused and self-interested. And so they were focused on building their own kingdoms, building their own houses, rather than the house of the Lord. And really how they, the attention that they gave to their own houses, rather than the house of the Lord, was an indication of uh, their priorities uh, regarding the Lord himself, right? Because they're focusing on themselves and their own things and their own purposes, rather than God's, they were showing that they themselves were uh, were their idols? They were they were their gods. These were the things that they were most interested in, and that idea of selfism, the worship of self, is something that uh, is not was not is not isolated to 520 BC, but it is something that is alive and well in 2022 AD. Uh, that we are a culture that's built around. The individual were built around the individual's ability to choose, uh, to identify however they want to identify. To we tell children that they can be whatever they want to be, and uh, there are there are good truths in there, but also there are distortions of the truth. And if we live our lives and we teach other people to live live their lives as though we are the center of the universe, uh, then we are worshiping self rather than the God who made us. So the people of Israel have stumbled into this sin, <clears throat> and it's one that it's not just individualized, but it's one that it has infected the corporate 
that's that uh, as these individuals are pursuing themselves or these households are pursuing themselves uh, worshiping themselves uh, they are uh, they're doing this not just individually but they're doing this as a people and because they're doing this as a people the Lord's work gets ultimately neglected the house of God lies in ruins uh, now, along the way, I've tried to make a parallel that uh, as the people of God in the Old Covenant are building the temple, uh, the people of God in the New Testament are tasked with a similar work of building, um, but we are, by God's grace, we are invited into uh, the building of the kingdom or, the, or the, uh, our, to play our part in Jesus building his church, that the Apostle Peter uh, wrote in First Peter, I think I messed that up last week. So, uh, but the the Apostle Peter wrote in First Peter that we are a a a, live, a spiritual house made with living stones, uh, and so that when we think about Jesus's call upon us to make disciples of all nations, then that is a part of Him gathering in and building a new temple, uh, united in Himself. That He is the fulfillment. Of the temple and and he is the fulfillment of the law he's the film fulfillment of the land there's so many things that Jesus is uh, the great fulfillment of all these strands that emerge from the Old Testament they find their connecting point in Jesus all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ and so he's the fulfillment and as we are connected to him we are participate in him and we participate in his purpose. Um, but because the people of God here in Haggai chapter 1, that they neglected the purposes of God, they began to experience the discipline of God. That the things that they were doing did not bring them satisfaction, it did not bring them wholeness, it did not bring them the flourishing that they thought it would because they had uh, unplugged themselves from the ultimate source of life and of joy and of love and of happiness, the Lord himself, uh, that when we try to experience or enjoy the gifts rather than the giver, uh, above the giver, uh, then the gifts ultimately don't carry the same joy that they once were, once had. So all of this I'm trying to tell you where, where we've been. And now coming into Haggai chapter 2, uh, we are, uh, this is less than a month after the end of chapter 1. So the chapter 1 ends in verse 15 on September 21st, 520 BC. And chapter 2 begins in the 7th month on the 21st day of the month, and that is October October 17th. So uh, a little less than a month later, let me pick up reading, and I'm going to read Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through Nine. So hear the word of the Lord, as uh, and may we hear with faith. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. 
Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasuries of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for timeless truth revealed in your living word, that you have breathed out and given us your scripture. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would accompany your word with power, that it might land in our ears as fertile, a seed upon fertile soil, good soil, that it might bear your fruit in our lives. Uh, God, would you do a work as we hear? Help us to hear in faith, to hear with an ear toward obedience and an ear towards who might need to hear what I have heard, who might need what I have. And so, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak? Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. So, in October 17th, 520, the word of God comes to Haggai the prophet. <clears throat> and there's three audiences. There's Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Joshua the son of Jehozadak, and then all of the people. You have the governor, which would be sort of a political leader. You have the high priest, who would be the religious worship leader. And then you have everybody. And everybody is instructed to be strong. To be strong. But I, I want to place this in context in a way that uh, you, that's not immediately apparent as we're just reading this text. Now, uh, October 17th is, um, 520 is the last day of what's called the Festival or the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths, you can find uh, outlined in uh, Leviticus 23, I think 33 through 43. You can find it in, I've got notes here, hold on. Uh, Leviticus 23, Numbers 29, 7, 12 through 40, excuse me, Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 17. But the, the festival of booths or the feast of booths was one of the, the feast times that, the, that God had appointed for his people. <coughs> excuse me, and a booth is simply a shelter, maybe your translation has, that the people of God during this these seven days were instructed to live in booths, to, to go out to build a temporary shelter, a tempor temporary tabernacle, and they were to live in it. And this was 
a, a celebration of two things. One, it was, it was October, so this is a, uh, a harvest celebration, a festival of the bounty of the land and the bounty of what they've taken in during the harvest. Now note what's just happened toward the end of um, chapter or in the middle of chapter one, where God has called this uh, drought upon the land because of their unfaithfulness, because they focused upon themselves rather than him. Uh, God, there is a drought in the land because their priorities are jacked up. Their context, uh, their, their land, their, uh, where they are is jacked up. Uh, and there's a there's a lesson there for us about when we misplace our priorities, the things that should flourish because our hands are on them, our families and our spouses and our work and our neighbors and our communities, those things and people ought to flourish and be better because we're there, we're here. Uh, but when we, as God's people, get our priorities mixed up, and good grief, we could talk about how Christians have gotten their priorities jacked up the last two years in incredible uh, ways, and they continue to. Uh, that's not this sermon, so. Uh, but, but so that the things that we have our hands on ought to flourish, but when we focus on ourselves, thinking that if we focus on ourselves, We'll make ourselves better so that these things get better. They actually get worse. And that's precisely what's happened with the people. There's a drought in verse 10 of chapter 1. The heavens have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. Uh, so there's a drought there. There's, uh, the, the, the land isn't yielding as it should. Uh, it's yielding maybe enough to sustain, but it's not yielding a bounty. And yet here the people are. They're supposed. They're commanded to be participating in uh, the shelf, the, the excuse me, the feast of shelters or the feast of booths, and it was a harvest reminder. So they're simultaneously met with God's command to celebrate, in their context, telling them not to. The second thing that the festival of booths reminded the people of was the Exodus, uh, that when God called the people out of Egypt, and this is. Uh, God's deliverance of the people from Egypt is the great gospel picture of the Old Testament, where God delivers his people by a powerful hand from a stronger uh, enemy, and he brings them out into the wilderness, and they live in the wilderness in booths, in shelters, in temporary housing that they set up. Uh, so you have people building things, and uh, and tearing them down, building things and tearing them down. And so the Festival of Booths was a reminder of harvest. It was a reminder of the Exodus. Those are two things. And one thing that uh, I would I miss and that might be applicable is that, that they were pilgrims, that they're passing through. And, and so this is supposed to be the last day of that festival. And so rather than joy, uh, there is uh, fear. They have experienced the discipline of the Lord. They've walked by God's grace according to his word. They've responded in faith and repentance to what God says. Uh, and now, uh, where they're called to be celebrating, they are overwhelmed by the enormity of the work before them. They're overwhelmed by the enormity of the work before them. 
and this can be very easy to do, um, that if our job is to be faithful to Jesus, Christian, to follow Christ in loving God and loving our neighbors, that's a tall order as it is, but when you consider the call of the Great Commission, that is a, an outstout, outstanding, amazing, almost outlandish summons to make disciples of all nations. Now, I don't have the stats in front of me, but we are nowhere close, it seems. We're closer than we were, but we're nowhere close to seeing the nations evangelized, to seeing people come to know Christ. We're uh, in every tribe, in every tongue, in every people group. And here's the conviction that you must have if we're going to maybe uh, take this, the truths that are taught in Haggai and, and appropriate them to us here uh, in, in, in the new covenant, uh, is that as we are called to build God's people, uh, to build the church by making disciples, seeing people grow up in the faith, grow up in maturity and obedience and evangelism and teaching teaching people to follow Jesus, to believe upon the name of Christ, to repent and, and to see God save people from death into life, uh, that is an enormous task. And it's an enormous task that remains unfinished. It remains unfinished around the world, and it remains unfinished in Elgin, South Carolina, which is astounding and almost ridiculous. When you think, and I'm not trying to be overly, I'm not trying to drop the hammer on you, uh, but I want you to feel the enormity of the work. The greatness of the work is intimidating to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the bunch of, of all the people. They, they have this foundation laid, and yet God's people, I mean, God's house is laid in ruins. It is not assembled. It is not ready for worship. God is not being glorified by his people keeping the regular rhythms of temple worship as they were supposed to in the Old Covenant. And here they are now. They are, uh, they've, they've repented. They've coming, they're coming back saying, we're going to set God first. We're going to seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to us. That's the call to us. Seek first Jesus's things. Seek first Jesus's kingdom. And then worry about everything else. And that is something that, that we must do together. It is a corporate reality, but the corporate reality stands on the individual reality of you taking ownership of your following of Christ, taking ownership of you making Jesus known to your neighbors and to, and, and to everything you put your hands on, so to speak, in your home, seeing those things flourish as you are centered on Jesus. Uh, so uh, they are uh, they're overwhelmed, and we know they're overwhelmed. We know that this is the circumstance because when the word of God comes through Haggai to the people, uh, he's, God says, speak to them and says, who is here? Who is here that you saw the old house? Who saw the old temple? Now, if you're worrying about a timeline here, uh, if this is 520 BC, the old temple was, was torn, Solomon's temple was torn down in 586 BC. Now, if you're not familiar, BC counts down. So 586 is earlier than 520. 
So this is 66 years uh, since Nebuchadnezzar's armies have come into Jerusalem and torn down the temple. 66 years. So whoever might have been there, which the text kind of indicates that there are some there who were there, uh, that they, they were probably children. And here 66 late years later, uh, they're seeing it go up. And, and Ezra talks about this, that they, um, uh, Ezra chapter 3, that those who were there and who, who saw the house going up, uh, they wept because they remembered how great the old house was and that this new one isn't close. Uh, and so he says, uh, <clears throat> who was left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? The, the equivalence being made is saying, this house equals nothing in comparison to Solomon's. That they are overwhelmed that uh, not only do they have a lot of work to do, but the work that they're doing doesn't even come close to what used to be. Uh, and it's so easy. I mean, how many times have I heard it in a church uh, in, at Blaney, at, at previous churches? Well, this is the way it was, fill in the blank, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, sometimes 40 years ago. Uh, these past glory days. Uh, and some of you may have those kind of remembrances of maybe of Blaney or maybe simply of uh, the, the status of the culture in regarding, uh, regards to the church and to Christianity, much more, perhaps in your eyes, much more favorable. Uh, but I think the reality that has to be said, one, is that the children who were there 66 years ago uh, when, when seeing Solomon's temple, they, they might not remember everything really as it was. It's very easy to remember with rose-colored glasses that things aren't, were not as peachy as we want to remember them, um, as some Christians would long to go back to the 1950s, for example, and say our culture or, or was, so, was so great. Uh, and it was, it was really great only for parts of our culture or certain peoples in our culture. Uh, it was not great for everyone. Uh, and so there's an easy, easy to look back with rose-colored glasses. Uh, but then secondly, when we look backwards, if all we were doing is saying, look at what was, look at what was, look at what was, uh, we will waste our days away in nostalgia, not fulfilling what the Lord has given, to do, given us to do now. Dear ones, the only things that we have, the only thing that we have, so to speak, time-wise, is now. Uh, the past is gone. It is but a memory. The future for us, in God's eyes, it's different. But for us, it is a not yet. Only the present is now. And now is the time. Now is the time that Jesus has given us. With the people that are sitting next to you, to your right and to your left, or the people who normally would be there, uh, who, are, who are there uh, most Sundays, and the people that... Uh, are following Christ, that we're encouraging, uh, encouraging each other toward, toward Jesus with, uh, that, that we need each other to say now. And that's precisely what the Lord says to these people through Haggai in verse 4. Yet now, now is the crucial time, Haggai says, God says through Haggai, 
Now is the crucial time. Now is the turning of the tide. Now, and consider there's no inclination in their circumstances that now is the time. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in their circumstances. There's still opposition. They're still walking in repentance from focusing on themselves rather than on the Lord. Uh, they're now stepping into taking taking on God's work. Uh, nothing has fundamentally changed. They're still under another government. They're still bearing a, bearing a, a sort of an oppressive hand upon them. That the circumstances haven't changed, and yet by God's word and by God's will and by God's work in his presence, as we'll see in a second, by his presence in their lives, now's the time. Blaney, now is the time. We've been making strides and COVID has messed us up and thrown us off. But dear ones, now is the time. Uh, if you've been holding back, some of you, in, uh, in sharing your gifts with the church, not, I'm not talking about financial gifts, I'm talking about your, your gifts, your, uh, the way that you are meant to take on Jesus' work, the way that you're meant to build disciples and make disciples that make disciples, the way that you're meant to love God and love your neighbor and to help others do the same, the way that you're meant to help people who are far from God hear of the gospel so that they may put their trust in Jesus, that some of you, I sincerely believe that you are, and I mean this graciously, uh, that you're sandbagging on us, <laughs> that you're, you're holding back, that you're not, uh, that, that there, there's divided allegiances in you between uh, what you want and the dr dreams that you have and the intentions that you have and what the Lord would have for you. Uh, and I'm going to say that if Jesus is never first, all those dreams and intentions, even if you reach them, they, you will find that they are hollow. But if you completely sell out to following Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross and say, wherever he leads, I go. Then all of the dream, whatever that, that, whatever's ahead will be full and flourishing because of Christ. Yet now, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, people. Be strong for the work. Don't fear. Be strong. Now, this is... I mean, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. I'm about, I'm about done, I promise. That this is uh, the, where, where you have to pay attention to what I'm saying. If everybody wake up, I know it's not fun watching a dude... Uh, it's all nice and cozy next to the fire. You might be asleep. I need you to wake up. I need you to pay attention right now. Uh, that this is where you think, I've got to be strong. I've got to try hard. I need to focus. I need to prioritize my time. I, I need to do this. I, 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 I. And the preacher's making me feel bad about not doing all these things again. But here's the thing. I'm not, you, if there is conviction and it's making you feel bad, the, the solution to that is not you. The solution is not you. Our church, no, I've said, I've said, we need your gifts. We need you to sell out for Jesus. We need you to follow Christ. We, we need one another. But dear ones, notice where the strength comes from. Ah, I dropped my Bible. 
Notice where the strength comes from. He says, be strong. I've made a covenant with you. I've made a promise with you. Work for I am with you. When we are faced with an enormous challenge, an enormous challenge posed to us by this culture, by this moment in time where people don't care about Christ, they have no inkling about eternity, they could so much cast the church aside uh, that we have a, an enormous task of helping our neighbors hear of the love of Jesus. We have an enormous task of seeing every tribe and tongue and nation hear of Jesus so that God would call out from among those people, the, those people that would be a part of the church, that there will be a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. I firmly believe it, according to Revelation chapter 5 and 7. Um, but the invitation to do those things, to do this work, isn't to rely on our own strength. We don't have the strength for it. This is an invitation to press more deeply into the beautiful presence, the promised presence of Jesus with his people. Press deeply into Christ and find in his gospel power unto salvation. Find in his spirit that is with us. And he mentions that my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Dear ones, if God is for us, who could be against us? Now's the time. Our circumstances haven't changed. <clears throat> Our culture hasn't gotten softer towards the gospel. Things have not got easier, and they won't get easier, I don't think, anytime soon. But now is the time to, for you to get serious about following Jesus, for you to get serious about plugging into the church, for you to get serious about making disciples of Jesus, pouring out your life into someone else so that they can grow up and be something that God has called them to be. It's time for us, now is the time, to not fear sharing the gospel of Christ with those who are around us, believing that we have within us a fountain of living waters in God's spirit bubbling up within us, flowing out to rivers of life, Jesus talks about in John chapter 7. Dear ones, we have everything we need in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. Everyone needs the gospel. And we are not going to build the church by any other means than preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, making disciples, and being obedient to Jesus. And we can't do those things unless we rest in what Christ has accomplished for us. We must settle ourselves upon Jesus, press deeply into, I am not saved by my effort, I am saved by Jesus and his righteousness alone. I'm rescued because Christ was fully obedient. I am rescued because Jesus has died for my sins and for yours so that we might be with him in God. We are rescued because Christ has risen. And just like the apostles in Acts chapter 1, they were waiting for power. Well, dear ones, you have power. If you have believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have power. You have gifting. You have ability. 
but it is from Christ and Christ alone, and it is for his glory and his glory alone. Fear not. Christ is building his church and he's building his church through people like us. Just like he was building his temple. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth. He, for Zerubbabel and the gang, he's talking about providing them everything they need to build the house of the Lord. For us, that same earth-shaking power is at work right now. Literally in Elgin, the earth is shaking. I don't know if you paid attention. We have pandemics, we have earthquakes, we have pandemic, hopefully it's one. We have earthquakes, we have turmoil, we have all sorts of craziness happening in our country and out. God is shaking the heavens and the earth. But here's the promise. All of this, we talked about this on Wednesday night, all of this, all of this is for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All of this serves the safety and salvation of Jesus' church. And this is one thing you can bank on, that all of the upheavals, all of the wickedness that this world can muster, all of the brokenness that this fallen world heaves up in sicknesses and viruses and whatever else, and the violence that people do to one another, nothing can subvert or thwart God's plan to save his people. He has a people. He died for them. They will be rescued. Everything that happens in this world will serve that end. Shaking heavens and earth, shaking the nations. And as he shakes the nations, God will bring his people in. So dear one, fear not. Be strong. Rest in Jesus and find in him a strength that you do not have on your own. Press in because now is the time. Now is the time for us to leave apathy behind. Now is the time to quit serving ourselves in the church and outside of the church. It's not about you and it's not about me. It is about Jesus. And it is about those who have not yet heard it is about those who have not yet believed. It is of those who have much growth to do and you're in their life to help them do it. So let's get to work as we rest. That's the beautiful thing of the Christian life. All of our striving flows from rest. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 46.10, God will be exalted among the nations. God will call his people in, and he chooses to use you and me to do it. Would he do it? Would God shake the heavens and the earth to build his church? We believe he is. We believe he will. And may our lives bear out that belief. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And I pray that, God, you would stir us up as you stirred up Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people to do the work. Would you stir us up to do the work of discipleship and of evangelism? Would you stir us up to reach out to those who have not yet believed in Jesus that they might hear? That even now as I pray that, Lord, you would, by your Spirit, 
rest one name, one person, one face uh, upon these precious ones that we might think of one person that we can begin to pray for, that they might come to know Jesus, that we would be diligent to pray for them day in and day out and share with them when we are able, believing, believing that you are able and that you will save. So Lord, would you give us direction? And I pray for those who have not yet believed who might hear this. Would they know that it's not about their striving, it's not about their efforts. All of their efforts are futile and empty if they do not release and yield their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I pray that they would do that today, that they would reach out in faith and that, Lord, you would be found by them, that they would be made alive by the power of the Spirit. So, Lord, take us from here as salt and light, sent on your work, sent as Christ's people. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you soon. Grace and peace stand as we sing.